0: Hello and welcome to another edition of 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn, and we're recording the show on a bitter cold day, Tuesday, November 27th. And my guest today is uh, my colleague, Councilwoman Angela Leet. Uh, Councilwoman Leet is getting ready to complete her term of service on the Metro Council for years. And she joins us today to look back on her Metro Council experience as a whole, to talk about some of the lessons learned and uh, and to share some wisdom with us. So, Angela, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, I'm really excited. So I am
1: too. And I, I have to say, because you're called Eight More Miles, my uh, my blog site is called the District Seven Interchange. So I, I like that we ha- kind of
0: have. I know that I've got the District <laughs> Seven Interchange on my uh, on my notes here, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Awesome. So, um, you know, I'm really interested in sort of as you're winding down your fourth year here. Um, and I'm finishing my second year, which is sort of half a term. Um, looking back on your entire Metro Council experience, what you what you've learned about local government, about the legislative branch, about the institution that we're part of, about um, you know your district and the city, and all those kinds of things. So, I think the really only appropriate place to start is at the very beginning, even before the beginning. Um, You know, what made you decide to run for city council in the first place? Sort of who preceded you, and how did you get into all that? Tell us the year and sort of set the stage for us.
1: Sure. Um, I believe it was, let's see, we're in 2000. So it was 2014, actually. Um, In early January, actually, of 2014, I got a phone call um, from uh, Councilman Ken Fleming, who'd been on council since the inception of merged government. He ran in a very, you know, wide field um, when he first ran back in I guess 2002 and um, he was looking to maybe move on to a different role and position and he asked do you have any interest in this and I thought well I've been involved in you know issues and um, political areas in the in the past years in the previous years and um, the timing was right Uh, my kids were getting older so they were more independent And it gave me an opportunity because I guess at the time they're now 17 and 14. So at the time they were, you know, 13 and 10. So, you know, you've got two kind of young boys, but they're now at that stage in their life where they can get themselves dressed in the morning. They know, you know, how to brush their own teeth and take a shower and do those things. So it put me in a position from a time perspective to have adequate time um, to perform the job. I think I had been involved in a lot of volunteer activities in our community from, um, and people are probably sick of hearing about it, but you know, I've, I did a lot with Habitat for Humanity and Fund for the Arts and involved with Waterstep um, and uh, Spalding University. And so I'd been involved in a lot of different issues in our community. And so when somebody says, hey, what do you think of participating in a different role? I thought, you know, it's kind of like always a new challenge. It was, well, yeah, I think, I, A, I have something to offer, and B, um, the idea that um, I'll have the time to actually commit to do the job well. And I think sometimes that becomes a challenge. Yeah. Um, even when I look at some of our colleagues, we, we all have different stories, and we're all in different places in our lives. And um, even within, you know, a four-year period, I've seen people who, um, you know, they had a spouse who ended up having a surgery or uh, or they had some other incident or life event happen. And so they have to back out a little bit more or get more involved and, or they're more selective, too, about what issues they choose um, to really engage in. And I think that's what I really love about our, our city council is that when I look around at our colleagues in the room is that everybody does seem to have um, different passions, different things that really... Um, that they want to engage in that gets them excited about what they're doing. And um, I, I think that's part of what got me involved. And I think one of the very first ways I engaged after the election process was with the VA hospital uh, being uh, relocated in District 7.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, when when you ran for office, did you have um, a platform going in or did you have a mindset that was sort of specific to here are the issues that are really front and center in district seven. And we'll, we'll talk about what, where district seven is and what it is in a minute. Or did you have a a bigger city issues already in mind at that time in 2014 that were really sort of your reasons for running or sort of a mix of both? You you mentioned the the I think It was always a mix of
1: both because, you know, because I'd always started in, you know, as I mentioned, when I got involved, um, I'd lived away from Louisville for about, um, 10 years or so, uh, post-college and doing kind of that first that first job post-college and then following my career I'd, I'd moved up uh, up the the career ladder of a-, a ways and I was living in Chicago when I came back to Louisville and um, became a mother in Louisville the first time and was looking to re-engage and so when i chose to re-engage i chose to engage at the basic needs level is how do we meet people's basic needs mm-hmm. and affordable housing was that first spot for me i wanted to get engaged in the conversation of affordable housing um, because you know we can talk about basic needs of you know food water shelter and i always throw education in that because i mm-hmm. believe that's a basic need and um and that's how i chose to re-engage and so while I didn't have that issue per se as much in District 7, I mm-hmm. saw the need on a on a community-wide basis. So I think there were things that I could offer at both at the very you know, micro level but also on a broader community just from how I had based my engagement in our community.
0: And the, di- the districts are so different and the parts of town are so different. Absolutely. And I haven't had many other council people on the show. I think we had Barbara Sexton-Smith on and we talked about – Obviously, the difference between the Central Business District and some of those surrounding neighborhoods and, and every other part of town. Now is probably a good time. Why don't you just tell listeners a little bit about District 7, sort of geographically where it is. You mentioned the, the all the home rule cities, and, and we can talk about how it's different from maybe District 8 in the Highlands area. Right.
1: So District 7 does does comprise 26 home rule cities of the basically 81 home r- rural cities throughout Jefferson County. And I have the river as my northern border. I have Shelbyville Road as my southern border, and we know they're not ever pretty boxes, but um, to give you kind of a box, it would be a little bit um, east of Zorn Avenue would be my western edge, and then I would go all the way east over to Goose Creek um, and cut back up through um, Westport, up to Westport Road and the city of Linden, over, back over to Oxmoor and the mall, St. Matthew's at Shelbyville Road. And that's kind of the box that makes up District 7. And within that district, there are 26 home rule cities. So that's 26 uh, city councils. That's 26 mayors. And what I found um, remarkable is because one of the very first things I did upon getting elected was start a process of going through and meeting with every single one of those mayors. Um, Not dissimilar from I made an effort to sit down with every single one of my colleagues. And I think when you first came on, I mentioned, I said, I did ride-alongs with a lot of the people um, in districts that I was less familiar with. So, you know, I did ride-alongs in South Louisville and Cindy Fowler's district. And um, I did one with uh, Dr. Shanklin. And I've been out with, um, it was Councilman Tandy at the time. So Mm -hmm. I I rode with a lot of different people just to get an idea for that basis of what that community wide issue was, so that I could have a proper mindset looking at the budget. Um, but a lot of the mayors in my, in my suburban cities, in my home rule cities, didn't actually know each other. Even though you've got junior, uh, you know, I'm junior, Jefferson County League of Cities, sometimes those venues get too big for mm-hmm. people to feel like it's a meaningful way to participate. But we found by doing quarterly um, mayor's advisory council meetings that it gave people an opportunity to sit in a much smaller setting, have their voice heard, to your point, about issues that were similar, whether it was trying to get roads repaved and what's a proper specification based on the amount of traffic that they have in their neighborhood or the size of their neighborhood, um, or looking for opportunities to um, add uh, ADA sidewalks Mm -hmm. and, and provide better accessibility. So those were kind of um, the advantages of being able to form that mayor's advisory council, and create that communication loop um, that was very meaningful. I think over the last four years.
0: Yeah, and we, I think that you know when I came into office, I, I, I won a primary election and didn't have a general election, so I had time, to, I had time to work and prepare. And so I went and met with all the sitting council people and we talked about some of the way you did things and I talked to other council people about the way that they did things. And apparently that was a pretty rare thing for new people to come in and meet with everybody, which is really surprising to me, but it still, I think is. but it turns out that I think me and you have a lot in common about the way we approached our job as council people. And so we've had of managed our office and what we've tried to do. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I have a district eight advisory board, for example, that's made up of the neighborhood association presidents and the mayors of our four small cities. Um, 26 is a heck of a lot, and um, what some listeners might not know really what it means um, from a government standpoint in terms of these independent cities being out there. And so first let me just ask, do you have any urban service district or unincorporated area in District 7, or is the entire footprint covered by these small
1: cities. 97% is covered by these home rural okay. cities and only 3% is basically in an unincorporated or I may have one or two urban service district roads. And that is like it in the entirety. And of so my entire
0: district for me, and I think maybe some other people that have a majority urban services district area with none or one or two or a small amount of small cities, we think of the small cities, or at least I do functionally, not unlike any of the other um, better organized neighborhood associations, because obviously those come in all sort of shapes and sizes, and some are have been around for decades and have a lot of resources and are, are well-managed, and some are sort of new and getting organized. Uh, but I think of the small cities as being able to take care of themselves. They obviously tax themselves. They pave their own roads. They fix their own sidewalks. They plow their own streets. And... Um, and so when I have to decide where we spend our discretionary capital infrastructure budget or when we're going through the annual budget process um, and I'm figuring out what roads to pave and that sort of a thing, it's a luxury a little bit to me to not have to worry about so many aspects of the small cities. But, you know, what is your experience with that been since you have such a, you know, such a overwhelming uh, relationship with them?
1: Well, I I think that to your point, uh, that made it even more important. For it make me. your job
0: easier or harder?
1: No, I think it gave me a different responsibility. But I think that's why it became even more important for me to go out to my colleagues, to their districts, to see some of those community-wide issues. Because you're right, to a certain extent, I literally have, um, and I should know the number off the top of my head, but I, I have maybe just a few miles you know, my longest stretch of roadway that is owned by the city and maintained by the city is River Road, uh-huh. basically from Mockingbird Valley Road to Blankenbaker. That's uh-huh. almost like the one of the longest stretches of road. And there's a there's literally a couple other um, kind of in, interior, um, like subdivision style roads. But generally speaking, I have very, very little but it's so it's important for me to understand when we're looking at that overall budget, because we've made such an emphasis even before your arrival two years ago about that roadway plan and the fact that that is a need for our community. It's not a want. It is a need. It is one of the things that, you know, and this is where I, my my philosophical, my policy side comes in is that is one of the things that government is supposed to be exceptionally good at delivering mm-hmm. is, you know, public safety, and the infrastructure aspects.
0: So I guess because the vast majority of your district is sort of self-sufficient, independent, it allowed you maybe some more freedom from dealing with some of the routine issues that, you know, I have to spend a lot of time dealing with, and it allowed you to spend more time looking at broader city issues. But how did it I imagine you didn't just tell all the small cities, all right, you guys are all by yourself. Good luck. Take care of everything. Call me if you need any problems. How did you use sort of your office as a, a you started to talk about it a little bit as sort of like a best practice sharing connector or vehicle to make sure that the, all 26 of them worked together closely and, and were doing things as a whole. Just talk a little bit about sort of that role. It was, was it more of a, con, almost more of a convener than anything?
1: Um, no, I think for my city council role, I think you still have to be able to direct people um, because, because people he,
0: would call you sometimes if they had a pothole or something. Oh, they don't necessarily know to call the mayor of the sixth, of the small city. They they still consider absolutely. you their main contact. Absolutely, okay.
1: and so and then you've got to remember of of all of my home rule cities, there's only one, and it's only a very and I'm only because St. Matthews is the one I'm talking about. But St. Matthews actually has three different council representatives, mm-hmm. city council representatives that cover the entirety of St. Matthews. So. Councilman Hollander and Councilman Ackerson share part of St. Matthews with me. So I have a very small portion, but of the, um, of the law of the home rule cities, that is the only one that actually has control of sewers and drainage. So I still get all of those issues and trust me, there's lots of those issues. You know, when we had the recent flooding, um, of the river flooding, I spent days helping a neighborhood clean up and providing emergency supplies and connecting with, uh, Red Cross to make sure that they had the resources they need um, and working with LGE to make sure that, that the citizens in that particular neighborhood knew who they needed to call to get their power connected and what the order of procession was, that they had to have an electrician come in and certify and evaluate the system before you could call LGE to say mm-hmm. you can turn the power back on. So, you know, you learn these things as they come up and then you have to educate every one of those citizens and as you know some of those things happen so infrequently it doesn't become innate it becomes something you have to reteach someone every single time it happens yeah i think
0: and, i was going to say i think i was going to ask you sort of how you operate your office and you mentioned the district 7 interchange which is a blog i guess yes. you know i write a i write an elect i write an e-newsletter that i put out every 2 weeks Uh, And that was something new from my predecessor. Um, And when I came into office, I sort of took a look at the way that communications were handled and just sort of the office was administered and all that kind of stuff, just like anybody would that takes over a a new sort of startup organization. And, you know, I know from us talking, we were both very interested in in data-driven decision making and, you know, really taking a hard look at problems and being efficient and, you know, letting technology work and that sort of a thing. So, do you have um, a couple of examples or do you remember from when you first came in and take a look at, you know, Council what Councilman Fleming had set up and said, okay, we need to tear this down and build something back and sort of what did you try to do and how would you sort of describe the way your office runs now? So I
1: think that was, um, you know, there was never a mayor's advisory council, so that was one of the first things was mm-hmm. creating that communication loop. And I think also um, I, like you, am not a big, you know, let's communicate everything in a hard written format where I have to print and then mail out expensive. It's very expensive. So I, I believe that, um, and don't hold me to this in case I don't have it exactly correct, but I believe he was doing at least twice a year communications on a broad district wide basis with a printed type of multi-page newsletter. Same here. And I have not, I have never done that. Now I've gotten some criticism for that, but I went to like a, a once per year, kind of infographic summary of what's been going on in the district. I also went to more of an annual uh, meeting instead of doing a monthly meeting. I was doing the quarterly meetings with all of the mayors. And then I went to an annual meeting because we would get the very first annual meeting. We had well over a hundred people attend. And so we stuck with that model and we had more than a hundred people attend every single year that we've done our annual district seven meeting, which I think allows um, allows you to create better engagement um, because it's easier to get all the different services. We'd make sure that MSD and lg and and um, cable and internet service providers, and we'd have all those resources there. Like mm-hmm. many of our, our colleagues do the same thing. And um, I thought it provided a, a great format uh, to allow that to happen. Even at the last one, because of the Hep outbreak, we were able to find a pharmacy willing to donate hep A shots. And Mm -hmm. we made those available. So where did
0: you do those meetings?
1: Just We did... Three of them were done at Portland Christian School. They donated the space. I Mm -hmm. didn't have to spend a taxpayer dime on it. Mm -hmm. And and then the last one was done at Thomas uh, Jefferson Unitarian Church, um, right in the district. And there was some... Zero dollars. Donated space. So, I mean, there was always a place for us to do the meeting that had no cost that had ample parking that we tried to keep it on a track where there was accessibility if somebody needed to take a bus although we're a predominantly commuter district Mm -hmm. you know
0: so so plenty of parking at those locations as as well mostly yeah
1: (laughs) but you know it, it but we also know that um you know where Thomas Jefferson Unitarian is, we're trying to get a, cro- a pedestrian crosswalk there because yeah. we have a, a retail shopping center on the other side of the road, and we have schools on the other side and no pedestrian crossing let on me, a very busy road. Let me so, ask you this:
0: it's not—it's a little bit of a deviation from sort of my track of questioning and okay. you know going through your how how what your experience was like, but I think that one of the bigger trends of the next twenty or forty years of the way our community grows and how cities like ours grow is going to be sort of the retrofitting of suburbia. And I don't mean to sort of cast off District 7 or places outside the waters or whatever as a suburbia versus the city. And I think those kinds of distinctions are not are not very helpful. But the old city versus some of the newer parts of the city, for whatever it's worth. Um, you know, everybody sort of knows that the, the more recent... Um, suburban parts of the city are more auto-oriented. They're sort of less of a traditional street grid and less sidewalks and less and less and sort of that kind of stuff. And it, you mostly have to depend on a car. Um, but I think that as younger peoples who might've grown up uh, in the city or more accustomed to, to assets like that move to the suburbs inevitably, or as people that live in the suburbs but decide that they want to be able to walk from their house to get a cup of coffee start to demand those things... I see sort of a lot of retrofitting of those areas, you know, whether it means adding density or adding mixed use or adding new transit options being a way that will sort of rejuvenate the suburban areas going forward. Is that something that you think there is a demand for? Have you seen any inkling of that? Or do you see sort of, you know, the suburbs sort of stereotypically staying, staying the same sort of separated auto dependent places?
1: Well, I, I hate to only classify them by their transportation. I think there's right. a um, a communal feeling that people are looking for more now um, than perhaps they had previously. And I don't think, I, I think you can look at, there are examples, for example, in suburban on the far eastern side of our county in Norton Commons, mm-hmm. in areas where people want the suburban feel um, without the without well, being in an inner city. And, 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 so, all, the, and all the sort of assets that, that I was that, talking about. But, and it creates that, but it creates that communal feeling too of I know some of my neighbors. I think we've maybe swung a little, lo- the pendulum has swung pretty far to where uh, in many places people don't know who their neighbors are anymore because there there's a tendency, you know, we've done, um, people have become very mobile in where they live, right? Because mm-hmm. there hasn't been this need. I think you're right. And when mm-hmm. I look at, the younger generation, they find this need to have the flexibility. And there's not as much commitment. But I, I believe that we'll come back to more where people are looking more for a commitment and looking for that longer-term investment. So I think that suburban area is always going to stay. And, of course, it's mm-hmm. part of our geographic city. So I think we have to think differently about how we incorporate an inner uh, city um, urban core with those suburban areas and how do they work together in that, you know, puzzle piece, you know, you know, that is Metro Louisville. And I don't know that we, I I don't think, I I think that was one of the things that I, it's hard to express in a soundbite to anybody because it's a very in-depth conversation. Um, but we haven't really, um, fulfilled that part of merged government. I don't, I don't believe, I think we still have to think, and I don't have this an absolute solution for that. Mm-hmm. I have some ideas. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. It's just sort of an aside. Like I said, I just, yeah. um, you know, I can just see the physical spaces out and I grew up off Lime Lane. So, um, you know, and as, when I, as a teenager, I had to cut through, you know, every kid knows the way to ride their bike from point A to point B without having to ride on the busy, dangerous roads because your parents won't let you. And so I'm just imagining a future where, and we've seen, you know, there's there, whether it's um, new trail opportunities along the River Road corridor or... Um, you know, creative ways to use school grounds for playgrounds because there's not sort of maybe some of the traditional metro parks in some of the other areas. I think you're seeing a little bit of that, and I think it'll be a good thing uh, overall. But anyway, I sort of I'm sort of digressing. Um, we talked a little bit about how you operate your office. Um, I know another thing that you did and that you that you. Um, are, are hawkish about in a good way is spending, being you know protective of taxpayer money. You put all your spending information online, so do mm-hmm. we. Um, uh, you, you, any any um, thoughts about how you approached spending the limited discretionary dollars that we have as council people, and whether or not you thought you were successful with that in terms of projects you got built or programs you helped along? I do.
1: I felt like um, because we were, you know, mindful of at where every penny was going um that gave us the capacity in in a four, short four year period which is a short time frame really mm-hmm. uh for a big project to be able to get a um a, a, sideway pro- a sidewalk project completed that connected um you know I have I don't know how many schools you have in your district but I have a like dozen or so yeah. I have like 16 or 17 schools mm-hmm. Uh, between public and private, and that doesn't include preschools and and those. That's just the kind of the K through 12, mm-hmm. and um, so those tend to be clustered in one area. But was, you know, there was a major connector road that didn't have any sidewalks on it that connected to. And this is. On Ormsby Lane, okay. but connecting between Westport Road and LaGrange. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact of the matter is Louisville Loop is scheduled to come through, um, come down LaGrange Road, and there was no connector there. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there should be a connector um, via sidewalk from that very busy corridor of Westport Road that had been recently completed, and which is already, you know, 50% beyond its designed capacity of, of travel. Um, And LaGrange Road, which connects up to Linden and another retail center. So it Mm -hmm. connects neighborhoods and schools and retail together. And I think that those are the opportunities we have to look for. And I think that because I was being frugal with the dollars, I was able to um, even work with my colleagues as well to get them to see that vision and convince them that that was a good investment for our community.
0: Yeah. And that's sort of what I was talking about a few minutes ago in terms of those kind of assets being needed in parts of the county where it might not have gotten it. And I, so I guess what you're saying is that, and I I agree, it's a challenge to get those done because we don't have a lot of discretionary dollars and there's a lot of competition for projects and a whole lot of need. That's
1: right. And, And so, and, you know, and I think that's one area where the Republican caucus has been very intentional um, about pooling our funds and working together to prioritize limited resources to say, okay, we're going to do, we, we have a phased approach for A.B. Sawyer Park to so make improvements that, yeah, there. What does
0: that process look like every year? For people that aren't listening or that don't know, each council person typically gets $100,000 allocated in the city budget for discretionary capital infrastructure. Capital infrastructure. And, and um, the Republican members have traditionally, I don't know, maybe since the beginning, since the beginning figured out how to work together and identify projects, whether in their district or not, that are sort of the highest overall community value and put more dollars to those projects quicker. So they get done quicker, which I think is, you know, obviously is a, is, is great because you get important projects done quicker, but it might, the downside is that maybe you don't get one done in your area. So can you just talk a little bit how you guys managed to do that successfully?
1: Yeah, I think it, it ends up being it goes back to communication and looking at the broad picture of where um, where what we want to achieve. You know, we've been intentional um, in the areas um, for the Republican caucus areas on working on roadways. I mean, we've we've beat that drum basically since merged government started mm-hmm. that that is one of the, you know, top priorities uh, within a, a local government and so we've been intentional about making sure that some of those roadway improvements would occur Um, does that mean we can get state roads that require millions of dollars per mile to fix not necessarily but it gives us um, a capacity to take some of of the connector roads some of the smaller roads that belong to the city to manage those and and set aside those dollars to make sure those projects get done maybe a little bit faster or we can get a widening done or we can get a sidewalk added or we can make a park improvement that otherwise might still be on a list somewhere. You know, we even, we even patiently waited, um, even though there was a library master plan, it didn't really go in order. We don't mm-hmm. talk about that much, but yeah. it didn't go in order because if you'd done it in order based off the original master plan, the Northeast library that we're about to finish would have already been already been completed, but we recognized those needs and we agreed, you know, because we look at intentionally look at the broader overall community aspect on where we need to do it. And I think that's how we, we have to give and take, and that's what it takes to, to achieve that compromise. Yeah, And we've we've been able to successfully do that for more than 15 years now um, with the Republican caucus pooling of funds.
0: So you guys got a, a list of projects right now somewhere that's here we the top sure five, do. and you sort of have your own little mini budget conference ahead of time and figure out what you're going to exactly. go. Exactly. I mean,
1: that's what we actually do in our, in our caucus meetings. I guess that's why they're so boring and the reporters don't hang out there.
0: Yeah. So. Well, what do you, so it sounds like, you know, um, it sounds like you think that the the Republican caucus at least has been pretty effective. And I find that the Metro council has some, you know, inherent challenges in being a well-run organization because it's not just sort of a top down, System, you know, there's sort of 26 cats, and you're trying to hurt them all. And of course, there's party, and some people are up for election, and some are not, and the people have different motivations and different goals, and so it's really hard to sort of steer the ship, which is frustrating to me. And I think that it's critical that we have a strong legislature, and this is this, this is happening at every level of government, from the federal government on down. That sort of the executive branch sort of dominates and the judiciary is sort of there for a balance in the federal level and st- on the state level, less so on the local level. But legislatures, which is all, where the policy and the stuff that I care about happens, we really have trouble being effective. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Do you think the Metro Council as, a, as an institution that we're part of and that we have to take the, cre- the credit or the blame for things that happen or that don't is an effective organization? And if so and if not, what, what else can we do?
1: Gosh, that's a really that's a really good question. Um, there are definitely aspects that I do feel are effective. And there's certainly areas where I feel like we aren't as effective as we could be. I mean, I I think you probably feel much the same way.
0: Um, So what do we do to become more effective?
1: I, you know what? I actually think that um, one of the things that we oftentimes don't get it. I mean, I've, I guess I've been critical of the mayor for a year now. So what's the point in, What's the problem in saying this? The fact of the matter is the executive branch has all the power in this city. The legislative branch, we don't really have that much say or influence over anything if we're being honest. Um, But what we can do is affect the people in our district's lives Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. You know, for those people that I know that I personally went out and helped create and connect them with a resource and convene that resource for them Mm -hmm. when their homes were flooded by the river, I know that they very much appreciate the fact that they had somebody in Metro council assisting them. Same with those, you know, hundreds of other phone calls we get every single year for someone who didn't know how to handle a dog bite or someone who didn't know what to do because somebody put their mailbox on their property and, you know, on their personal property instead of properly on the, their neighbor's property. And, you know, so you get, you get to address those issues on a case by-case basis. but I think that's the one thing where our effectiveness gets limited because we aren't actually given the resources to have as much of an impact.
0: right? Those are executive branch problems. aren't they the executive branch who should be dealing with all that kind of stuff? But um, I mean, I'm, I, I think it's true, and i'm i'm'm I'm, I'm sort of kidding and Sort of not, but I mean, <laughs> we're supposed to be co equal branches of government. The Metro Council and the mayor, you know, we have the strong mayor form of government here, that's right. Uh, but you know, we have to have a strong council too. So, I think that's at least I see in the next couple of years or whatever a, a serious challenge for the Metro Council. And I, I know we're running out of time already today because time flies it does. on the show. But you said a few minutes ago that four years is a short amount of time to get something done, and I to me, four years sort of feels like a long time, and you've uh, you've, you've you've now come sort of full cycle through a full term of the Metro council including sort of coming on board and learning and getting your feet wet and becoming sort of confident in how you do things and setting your own systems up and and so on and so forth um, you know do you feel like four years was enough for you to accomplish what you need to accomplish do you feel like if you stayed on for 20 years or 12 years that you would exponentially be able to do your own, that much more, or do you think that it's better to have sort of a, sh- a short burst of intense energy and then you know? Um,
1: I think that's up for each person, too. Yeah. Because I think part of you know, while you're you're you should be entering this job as a public servant, and so when you believe um, being that servant to your constituents where you've given the most of what you can give, then you. I feel like people should choose to self-exit. That's yeah. for me personally, that's yeah. my interpretation of yeah. my role. My job is to come in, as you said, and, and I feel like that's what I've, I kind of stormed onto the stage. Um, p- perhaps I'm a little too intense for some people, but there are some things that I know um, that I was able to, get done quickly and effectively and there are other things I still have one thing that is gonna take us it's taken since the first day in office and it will take me till my last day and I'm hoping to get this signed piece of paper what is it it is a it is a crazy governmental problem that was self-created in regards to acquisition of property for a roadway expansion and so there ended up being this leftover piece of property that involved you know, it's just a random piece of property, and <laughs> yeah. and trying to get it to be in a place where it can be taken care of properly—that's mm-hmm. meaningful—and getting all the parties to agree to do it. Yeah, is like I, you know. I don't, I, I don't thank God to, I have lots of hair because uh, I'd have to pull all my hair out over it.
0: Yeah, and I don't mean to laugh or to get you, um, <laughs> but we all
1: have that upset somewhere. Upset
0: with the sort of last minute we have, but it just—it's an example of how something like that that's not part of your platform when you run for office or that's not one of the top three most important things in your life or career, what you spend your time volunteering on, can really swamp some other plans uh, and you don't have a lot of resources and time to sort of deal with it. And, um, you know, four years might be a long time if you had all four years the way that you would use it, but it's not really your four years at all.
1: Um, It's not, right? Because there's other forces that absolutely interfere with that. And and then it becomes such a, you know, it's the right thing to do. So you're not willing to relent and give it up. So you just continue to be a bulldog on it.
0: Well, so two, two more questions. Uh, do you have any advice for me for the next two years?
1: Um, I You know what? I've actually appreciated how you've managed your office. I am intrigued by um, observing how some of the things that you've started will, will work out for your district. And I, I think it's exciting that you're... Um, you're being intentional about moving your district in a way that you feel represents your constituents most effectively. And that's what each of us has to do. Mm -hmm. Each of us has to look to your point. We do, there is homogeneity. Is that the right, do I say that right? Homogeneity within. Differences. (laughs) Within each of our district. Well, right. Similarities. Yeah. There's similarities within my district that when I look at the county level, Right. and and I just experienced it firsthand is that there's differences when you move from district seven to district eight or district 14 or 12, there's there are differences in what affects those constituents. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have our ear to the ground to listen to those constituents and make sure we're adequately representing them, but also looking at the overall purpose of the community and what we're trying to achieve as a city and i think that would be part of what i I would say continue with that mindset of what is it that my constituency wants but how do i effectively do that within the constraints the variables of the system Mm -hmm. with the mayor strong environment we have to operate within the context of to continue to move your district forward while also fitting well into the overall community
0: okay uh last question so do you, do oh, you ha- I thought that was the last bold, do you, no. statement so do you have you do you have more to give at this point uh you know you at least have a pause in being a publicly elected official I know the probably answers that you don't know and all that kind of a thing but uh you would you you would know if if you were burnt out and the fire was gone do you feel like this might be something you're interested in at some point
1: um definitely my fires not burnt out I think it's uh one thing that you learned being on Metro council is that there is a broad swath of issues. Like we just said, what is an issue um, for another area is not the issue in my area. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the freedom I have now mm-hmm. is to pick an issue that I'm passionate about. Um, and then now I have the background experience of knowing how to work within the system to advance the goal of, of a particular issue or issues. Um, and and then even look at other personal pursuits. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Some more to come. Yeah. Well, we certainly appreciate it. It's been really great to work it has with been you. Funny. And uh, and we are glad that you were on the show and we got you before Wait, you. Before was that a first Republican expired. on your show? Uh first Republican, Republican council, council person. person. So yeah. Yay. Wouldn't have it any other way. Perfect. Thank, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash d 8 And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our biweekly e-newsletter.